Before we kick off today's episode, we just wanted to tell you about a resource designed just for you. Lana Hearth has put together a simple guide to optimizing your nutrition and feeling the best you can. And it's free. Head over to lanahearth.com to download the new mum's nutrition checklist. Now, on with the show. And I'm Tara, a journalist. We're mums of little ones and we're also sisters. New Mums Nutrition is a podcast that helps you optimise your nutrition and thrive in this season of life. Welcome to another episode of New Mums Nutrition. Now, we all know that eating healthy, drinking enough water and taking the right supplements are key elements of nourishing ourselves well and helping us to feel our best as new mums. And if you've listened to any other episode, you will have heard us talk about these three things quite often. So today we're we're talking about them again, but we're actually talking about the timing of them. We're talking about the most important time for us to get our nutrition on point for both bub and our bodies. There's this concept of the first 1,000 days, almost 33 months or just under three years. And I only heard about this concept in the middle of my first trimester when I was pregnant with my first kid. And I'd never heard about this concept before, but it's talked a lot in prenatal and postnatal dietetic circles. And so Lana's going to explain to us what is this concept today. And this concept, it's never too late to start thinking about the first 1,000 days. So if you're someone who's just had a bub, or maybe you're about to birth a bub, or perhaps you're thinking about a future sibling for your bub. That might be too soon for some of us, or some of us might already be planners. Um, We want you to know that you can optimize your nutrition in the best way possible and be motivated by the amazing ways that small and simple dietary habits have a massive impact on both mum and baby. So Lana, Let's let's go right to the beginning. What the heck is the first 1,000 days and where did this concept come from? We go all the way back to World War II, 1944. Nazi troops had stopped trains coming through the Netherlands and that impacted heaps of things, as you can imagine, but in particular the food supply. It resulted in basically the Dutch famine or was known as the Dutch hunger winter and actually, quite sadly, you know, 20,000 people died because of this. Um, and it had quite a very abrupt start and end, which is really important when we're looking at what happens to the people um, and what consequences for lots of things, but in particular nutrition as well. And so later on, pregnant women in particular, and their children who were in utero at the time were really impacted by this. And in particular, there was this little bit of a paradox that came out. So the women who had experienced famine during that time, their bubs ended up, they found trends that those bubs were more overweight than average. They actually had higher levels of cholesterol, even in their middle age, uh, they had higher rates of metabolic syndrome, diabetes, schizophrenia. And when compared to other people who are around the age of 68 years old, the people, the kids who were in utero of the Dutch famine, they had a 10% higher mortality rate or they 
they were 10% likely to, more likely to die than the people who hadn't. And that kick-started people being like, there is something fundamental that happens during pregnancy with nutrition that impacts a person, not just for the not just in the pregnancy time frame, not just in the first few years, but for the rest of their life. And so that really kick-started um, what we're going to talk about the first 1,000 days and early life nutrition and epigenetics. So how long was the Dutch famine? Because you said it started and finished abruptly. From September 1944 to May 1945. So really like less than a year. And we, and we can still... We, still have seen all these big impacts from it now this was the thing that that kick-started and whenever we have something with research there's often something that might kick-start an idea and then researchers take that and then they build over time years and years of study and then they continue to build on that so this was the thing that kick-started there's something that goes on during pregnancy and how you nourish your body and that affects the rest of uh, a baby's life it's one of those really almost good things to come out of a sad thing because there's no way you would ever conduct an experiment like this willingly on a nation of pregnant it, women. It was unethical. It's very unethical. And so to some extent, you would never get data like this any in any way, shape or form today because there's no way they would allow pregnant women to put their unborn babies at risk. That's right. However, this happened. They had this knowledge as a result of this really devastating event and that has actually gone on to shape science and shape nutrition so, that's right and you said that was quite game changing now tell me how does this impact what we eat you know we've talked before about the kind of the three things we always talk about in every episode supplements good food drinking water so how does this knowledge of the dutch famine impact what food choices we make and when first let's actually define what first 1,000 days of life is because that tells us sort of when. So first 1,000 days of life really is this idea, or it, it can be termed as early life nutrition as well. They sort of go hand in hand. First 1,000 days is a bit more easier to remember. Um, it's the time from preconception to sort of toddlerhood. So really, if you think about it, pregnancy is about 270 days, although, can I tell you, definitely feels longer than that. Um, but it was roughly around 270 days plus the first two years of a toddler's life is about 730 days. And then we know that even before you get pregnant, the your nutrition can impact both um, for mum the the egg health and for dad the sperm health and so we say 180 days or six months prior to conception that your nutrition can influence the health of the egg and the sperm and therefore the baby as well and so it's roughly 1180 days to account for that extra six months um of preconception but roughly let's not be pedantic Roughly one, that, that's the time frame for the first 1,000 days of life. And so if there's ever a time to pay attention to your nutrition, it's during that first 1,000 days, that six months preconception when you're pregnant and especially the two years after you had your baby, um, that is the most important time for setting up 
your baby and their health for giving them a bit of a head start um, and setting them up well for life. So what if you're someone like me and you didn't find out about this until well into your first trimester? The other thing I want to say is not only is this the most important time, it's also when it's the most challenging, I think, to be able to reach all your extra nutrient requirements that you have and pregnancy and postpartum life in particular is, is you know, um, has unique challenges of its own. And so if you're, you know, feeling halfway through or, you know, you're somewhere along the spectrum of that first 1,000 days, it's never too late to start is the first thing. So don't feel like, oh, I ate really poorly in my first trimester because I just felt so ill. Any time during that first 1,000 days can make a difference. And the second thing is that it doesn't have to be that you go on a really extreme diet or um, cut anything out. It's about making small changes can make a really big difference. It's just about uh, being really intentional and knowing which changes are going to be the most helpful for you during this time. All right. So now that we know when the first 1000 days starts, what impact does being aware of the first 1,000 days actually have on mum and bub? First of all, being aware of the first 1,000 days, and I threw around that term epigenetics before, that's really talking about changes in the way your genes function or work, but it doesn't actually change your DNA specifically. So, for example, the way you can think of what impact does nutrition have on baby is... Think about a butterfly and a caterpillar. A caterpillar and a butterfly, they both have the same DNA, but at certain points, they're expressed differently. They doesn't, their DNA doesn't change at all, but certain things might turn on or turn off, uh, and that changes what happens to the caterpillar or to the butterfly. And so when we think of... That's really how we think of epigenetics. It's... Um, changes to the way the DNA functions. There's words that describe actually the scientific things that happen. It's called myelination, which is turning a gene on and off. And then there's how accessible a gene might be, which is called histone modification. So how like tightly it's wrapped and how accessible it is. But that's the sciencey way of how we understand it. But just so you know, there's lots of research that goes into that whole genetic component. But practically, what does it mean for you and what impacts might it have on your bub? Uh, there are so many, as you can see how complex it is, there's so many things it affects. But I'm just going to share with you three. So one in particular, we know that what a mum eats during pregnancy and while breastfeeding in particular influences the taste preferences of baby. We know from 17 weeks in pregnancy that baby can taste amniotic fluid and pick up um, and the taste of that amniotic fluid is influenced by what mum eats. And so that that can be helpful in encouraging us to eat bitter green vegetables in particular because we know that, that, that eating those during pregnancy and breastfeeding increases your bub's likelihood of of eating them. So it sounds like the reason my daughter will smash a bowl of broccoli is because I smashed a lot of broccoli in my pregnancy. Is that is 
Is that kind of the link you could make? You can make that. And that's one factor. Also, the fact that you serve it up for your daughter often and it's part of your family's household. So it's partly environmental, but we do know that there are taste changes that happen. That's cool. That's the first one. Yeah, I think so. I think if I can do anything to help my baby like vegetables... Um, which I feel like all all parents, like we want our kids to eat well, we want them to be nourished. If I can do something to help influence that, then I'll take it. Um, number two is allergies and eczema. And we spoke about this in a, in a previous podcast on breastfeeding, talking about eating common allergens around, around twice a week, not just while breastfeeding, but also during pregnancy, your bub also gets exposed to to those. And we know that, for example, peanuts, a mum who regularly eats peanuts and peanut butter, if you're not allergic to it during pregnancy and while you're breastfeeding, reduces the likelihood of your baby developing a peanut allergy and also early introduction. um, So not waiting till after a year um, for your baby to introduce those allergens like eggs, wheat, uh, cow's milk, and, and all the common allergens that we've listed previously. So no matter where you are up to in the journey, if you're, you know, you're past the six month point and you're starting to introduce solids, actually that still fits within this first thousand days. That's the, that's the second point is the foods that we introduce can have an influence on reducing allergy allergies which is amazing and i love that you've also mentioned it's not just about when they're in utero it's not just about whether you're breastfeeding or not but even from the moment we start solids with our little ones that's still within the first 1000 days and so actually if you start let's assume you start solids at 6 months some earlier some later there's still 18 months there where you're plating up food that's going to have a really positive impact on your baby and this is also why you may have heard the recommendation to limit sugar being introduced until the age of two. The reason is because this time frame is setting up their taste preferences for life as well. And so uh, we want our kids to have a healthy relationship with food, which is very important. And we want to balance that as well with setting their taste buds up for life as well. So the third point is gut health. We know that what a mum eats when she's pregnant and breastfeeding and what you feed your baby when they start solids and then transition to family foods, that all sets up the baby's gut microbiome or the bacteria, which then we know has a really big influence on other things, things like um, their body weight for their life, their risk of diabetes. And there's research coming around out around this area because it's very new, but we know that that first 1,000 days has a big impact on setting up a healthy gut. Which Who doesn't want to have a healthy gut? Who doesn't want their kids to have a healthy gut? Those are just three ways, but it sounds like there's so much more out there about the impacts this has and how many positive changes we can make. But... As the mums, where do we start making these changes? Whether we're not pregnant yet, but thinking about future children and we're in that kind of interpartum period or whether we are about to give birth or wherever we're up to in the journey, what do we do? I'm going to give you five hopefully quick things because I'm all about being practical for mums 
I think especially we appreciate practicality more than anything. So the first thing is if you haven't already, grab grab yourself the New Mums Nutrition Checklist. It's free from my website because that is really thinking about how you nourish yourself as a new mum, particularly if you're thinking, if you're postpartum, but also if you're thinking about planning to have a second baby uh, or your next baby, that's a really good resource to make sure you're nourishing your body because if you're depleted, then that goes on to impact your bum. So that's the first thing. The second thing is being intentional about what you're doing. So it might be that you pick one or two things, even things that we've spoken about before, whether it's introducing allergens or bitter vegetables or, or something. But being in t- intentional is one way that you can start making changes. Actually, we always talk in this podcast that knowledge is empowering. Actually, you may have never heard of the first 1,000 days before, but now that you do, what's the one thing that you're going to take away from this podcast that you're going to do differently tomorrow? We often talk about you do the best with the tools you have. And so we often talk about doing the best with the tools you have. And so hopefully after hearing a podcast like this, you you just have more tools in your toolbox that you can do really good things with. So this is not, so don't feel bad if you haven't been able to be intentional in the right way previously, because you may not have had those tools in your toolbox. No, that's okay. Number three is blood tests. So I think this is where it's really important if you're, Blood tests, I think, is really important from a preconception point of view. And before you are planning on having, like, trying for a baby, if if it's a if you're planning and trying actively, a minimum of three months, but ideally six months beforehand. And the reason is, it takes three months for egg and sperm to mature. So if we want that to be in the healthiest way possible, actually getting it getting a head start on picking up any deficiencies six months gives you three months to correct those and then three months of you being at optimal nutrition before you start that's really helpful because i had no idea with my first pregnancy and uh, that and that was a planned one and i just didn't know any of that stuff so actually i you know, as I mentioned earlier, I didn't start know, thinking about this stuff until halfway through first trimester. So I'm really glad you mentioned, actually, if you're at the stage where you're planning another child and you can get a blood test, that's a really good thing to do. Blood tests are often helpful, obviously, during pregnancy to pick up on uh, deficiencies like iron deficiency, which we'll talk about in more detail. We've got a, in a, another podcast coming up. But... Even postpartum, picking up on those deficiencies, and especially if if you're in between your first and your second pregnancy, or your next baby, then having those blood tests to actually pick up and make sure that you're not depleted. I tell you what, this whole childbearing season of your life, you just feel like a pincushion. It's a full time job, like <laughs> it really is. Uh, so let's go on to the fourth one, which is supplements. This is when, so I think if we're going to think about what are the three most important things during this phase of your life for nutrition, it's good food from, like good nutrition and good food, 
It's the right supplementation and it's the right education because there's actually extra stuff that you need to be aware of during this season of life. And so I think the reason that supplements is so important during this phase and why it's a bit of a non-negotiable is if you're feeling really ill during your first trimester, in particular, and I say this a lot, is you feel really ill and so you decide, you know what, I'm just going to stop taking my, my, my prenatal because it's making me vomit or it's making me feel really nauseous. And let me tell you, there are lots of options with different ways we can supplement you. It could be timing. It could be changing the type of supplements. Uh, We can do individual supplementation and not a multi so that you're still getting some of the key micronutrients. But knowing how critical that first 1,000 days of life is, actually, it it might mean for you that instead of going, oh, I'm just going to not take my supplement because it makes me feel sick, it might be I need to, to check and figure out what I am able to take at the moment and get an an opinion from a health professional that can help you that knows all those options that can pick the right and a dietitian who specializes in pre and postnatal um care would be able to yes this is something i do (laughs) thanks yeah this is something that i do i think a lot of us would just go straight to our gp and the gps are GPs are like Cadbury favorites, you know, there's some really great ones out there, some really bodgy ones out there. I don't want a GP bash, but... Well, well, no, I like to think of it as GPs are like and, and doctors, like my training is to be the expert in nutrition when it comes to pregnancy and postnatal and all things women's health. And so GPs do, I think they're amazing and they do a fantastic job. I love my job, GP, I'm obsessed with him. But they don't... but they're not the experts when it comes to tailoring nutrition supplements for different needs and that's and this is a very specialized need and so that's why it's just worth double checking that so that's my little um that's why getting your supplements right during each phase preconception so but when you're trying to conceive pregnancy and postpartum is so important the last one is a mindset one. It's if you are, are you someone who has that tendency to have that all or nothing like, all right, I'm going to be really good on Monday and then I'm going to try really, really hard. And then by, you know, if you make it through the Thursday or Friday and then you just sort of give up and then you go, I'll just make it to Thursday Monday. or Friday. Matter what I, <laughs> who are you talking like, to? You know, Sometimes Monday, it's Monday lunchtime. Monday afternoon. <laughs> when I'm like, That's oh, right. this was and a so, dumb idea. <laughs> And so that's where actually realizing that all or nothing is this all or nothing idea is not needed for the first 1000 days. We can make really simple changes that can be really effective to help you optimize your nutrition during the first 1000 days. So let's say I had a friend who happens to look a lot like me and sound a lot like me and did something very similar to me. And she took her supplements maybe 80% of the time. Would you be more happy with 80% than 40% of the time? Like, is that kind of what you mean by forget about all or nothing? Like it's better to, it's better to get something done than nothing done. Yeah. And 
we've all been there. We've all been there when we've gone, that, like, you get really excited. It might not be a bad thing. You might be really enthusiastic and want to do everything all at once. And then it just becomes too much. And so instead of aiming for 100% for one day, aim for, you know, it might be 50% for you or 80% for you, just something more than what you're currently doing to be intentional about your nutrition. And what I want to say to you is that that will still help because so much on like on Instagram and on social media, we see really extreme ways of, you know, like doing cleanses and things to optimize your nutrition. But actually in this context, and I would say in every context, it's not about doing those really extreme things. And I want to actually give you permission to feel like you don't have to do all of the things, but choose a few things that you're going to do to make the most of this time in the first 1,000 days. And the first 1,000 days, ironically, not only is it the most important time for Bub's development, for mum to be optimizing her nutrition, it's also the most complicated health-wise. Like... If you can do something positive, you should celebrate that. If you ate one extra vegetable, celebrate that. If you took your supplements today, celebrate that. This is not about making you feel bad that you haven't done enough. This is about celebrating doing what you can with the knowledge you have and the tools you have and helping to equip and empower you to continue to make positive changes. I think that brings us to the end of this episode because I think we could keep talking for the first 1,000 days, for 1,000 days. This episode is brought to you by Lana Hearth. She's an expert pre and postnatal dietitian. All the information on new mum's nutrition is general in nature and does not replace individual medical advice. Come and join our Facebook group, New Mum's Nutrition, and download the New Mum's Nutrition checklist from lanahearth.com. Please subscribe, leave a review, and share us with friends so that more women can optimize their nutrition in a realistic and achievable way. Bye for now.